Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zeraris, and we are here today to, now that we know officially that Tom was, Tom had to go out and drag Adam Schefter and Darlington and a couple other NFL reporters just to kind of say, hey, this is my story, not yours. I get to tell it when I'm ready. Tom Brady announced his retirement from the National Football League on Tuesday morning. I'm recording this in the early afternoon, earlier than I typically record, because going to Devil's Leafs tonight, going to go see some really good hockey players play what is remaining of the New Jersey Devils, but had to produce an episode for Wednesday. We got guests later on in the week, got one guest nailed down for next week, going to try and get one more, have two for next week, and then do a lot of Super Bowl look-ahead stuff, which will be fun. Today's show, we're going to reflect on the career of Tom Brady, talk a little bit about just why you'll never why we need to stop just worrying about the resumes and the rings and all the accomplishments because that's part of this conversation it definitely is but you heard this similarly from me last week on the Thursday episode where I talked about Henrik Lundqvist and why reducing someone to their resume takes away from a lot of the hard work so before we get to today's episode I want to remind everyone Please check out the shows from earlier in the week. Had two good episodes so far, Monday and Tuesday. Tuesday, spent quite a bit of the episode complaining about the Rangers just being outright dishonest and how you can apply that litmus test about honesty from your franchise to things your team does. Monday, recapped the conference championship games, things the teams did, identifying trends, play-calling habits, the kind of stuff you're not going to get from only watching the game once, from only watching it live. The amount of time I spend reading and consuming football to do prep for football is disgusting. Today's episode will be a byproduct of a lot of that. And please, 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 continuing on in this, you know, the preamble, got to do every episode, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Pod, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, all the major platforms were available there. If you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a review. Reviews help a lot on Apple Podcasts. Once you've hit subscribe, you scroll down past the recent episodes, there's going to be five clear purple stars. You hit the one furthest to the right, that's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. Please, please, please take a minute of your time, leave a review, support your content creators. Do that for every podcast you enjoy, not just this one. All engagement you give a content creator is good stuff. Okay, I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop and we'll talk about Tom Brady for a bit. With that, we will get on into it and start reflecting on this. So, the main takeaway I want you to have from today's episode is how difficult it is to win consistently in the NFL. Yesterday's episode, I spent a lot of it talking about how there are 20 teams every single season that aren't actively trying to win the Super Bowl. So, when you divide up the 100% by the other 12, that's what you end up with. Those are around the other teams. Those are the teams that are actively trying to win the Super Bowl. So you think of 100 divided by about 12, and that's about 8%. You got about an 8% chance of winning 
a Super Bowl any given year if you're one of the teams that is good. Now, there's another story for the teams who think they're good, like, say, the Giants, who thought they were going to be a playoff team coming into this year. Teams like Dallas, who have yet to really cut their teeth, make a deep playoff run in a long time. Teams like Green Bay, who, until they get over this mental hump, they're never really going to be considered a serious contender. A team like Buffalo that hasn't been to a Super Bowl since the 90s. You think about it in that context. There's maybe five teams any given year that could win a Super Bowl. To go to 10 Super Bowls, not not even just to win seven of the 10, to get to 10 Super Bowls is just, it's hard to wrap your mind around. Half of the seasons Tom Brady played in his NFL career, about about half because he played 21 seasons and 10 isn't exactly half of 21, but you get the math I'm saying here. I want just... It is so impossibly difficult to win a Super Bowl. You think about the greats. Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. Favre only won one. Rodgers only won one. Breeze only won one. Peyton Manning only won two. He didn't know when to walk away like Tom did. He went to Kansas City after his time in San Francisco, after they pushed him out for Steve Young. You think about some of these decisions, when guys are ready to walk away, and Tom easily could have played another season. I said it on the episode for the conference championships games. Tom could play another season. He was physically fine this year. He got hit less than he ever had before. He had one of his best statistical seasons ever at the age of 44 on a really good team. Part of me is inclined to believe that Tom retired because he realized the Buccaneers were going to lose a lot of talent in free agency. They did not have the salary cap space to retain all of the pieces he would like them to retain and easy to facilitate a trade for a 44 year old quarterback with all that dead money on his contract so instead instead he said i'm gonna walk away high i won seven super bowls i'm the most decorated quarterback in the history of the sport i think i can live with that and that is commendable knowing when to walk away as an athlete is difficult i talked about this a lot in the henrik lundquist episode last week eventually Everybody gets told they can no longer play the game. Whether it's somebody who's 13 getting cut from JV, whether it's somebody getting cut from varsity, whether it's somebody trying out for a college team as a walk-on, whether you're a college player, a good college player, and you don't make the final 53-man roster at the end of training camp, or you play a long time, you play quite a while, and then the phone calls stop coming because you have a knee, you have an ankle. And... Tom redefined what that position is and the responsibilities of it. 2007, the year the Patriots go undefeated in the regular season, that Patriots team with Randy Moss, Wes Welker, Dante Stallworth, that is the first offense in the history of the NFL to run more plays out of shotgun than it was under center. That was a dramatic shift in the way football is played. And the Patriots did it because they watched a lot of college and they said, we're going to be able to spread teams out more and it's going to make our receivers more available. They're going to be able to make more plays if there are more receivers on the field because it's going to change what the other team is doing. And then you start thinking about the laundry list of players that cycled through New England before Tom hung it up. And I was, on Tuesday morning after the announcement, I went back and I watched a couple of the 
Um, the mic'd up Super Eagles, the second one against the Eagles. I watched the one against the Falcons, and I watched the one against Seattle. As I'm recording, I'm watching one of the giant Patriots Super Bowls because, you know, I do want to enjoy this a little bit for me, but the laundry list of guys that cycled through there, whether it be the, the, the mercenaries, the guys who came in for one season, like Chris Long, or the New England Projects, like Julian Edelman, like Rob Ninkovich, those type of guys who define that era of New England, of this era of the Patriots, because they didn't need marquee guys. Bill wasn't going to overpay for a marquee guy. He would rather have four guys making $10 million each than two guys making $20 million each because the value was easier to make up that way. When you build an entire team out of that middle class of player that knows how to play, that can do a lot of different things, or is, in the case of New England, what really made that team so what good are you going to do once you get here? You're a good press corner. All you're going to do is be on the field in nickel situations and press. They found tight ends who were only good at blocking. They had Wes Welker, Edelman, Chris Hogan, Amendola, those small receivers who you wouldn't consider a traditional X-wide receiver who line up on the outside. Those small intermediate guys apart. Brady would take a couple deep shots a game, but more or less, he was going to look to hit these guys underneath. You think about whether it be Kevin Falk or Deion Lewis or James White, all of the running backs that came through there to be Tom Brady's checkdown guy because Tom was so good at getting through his reads. That, that will be what I remember most about Tom Brady on the football field is his ability to dissect what was in front of him faster than pretty much anybody and doing it in a way that allowed him to be extremely efficient and to be know where the ball needed to go before it got there. And the longer Tom went in his career, the better he got at this because you think about the frame of reference you have after playing in the league 21 years like he had after the end of the season that's 20 years of defenses showing you things and what they're doing. And because the NFL is a copycat league, because everybody derives their stuff from other places, all of this stuff is built upon other concepts that already exist. You keep building, you keep building. But when you're Tom and you've been in the league as this adaptation keeps happening, you see things. You start to recognize. And thinking about it in this context, of just knowing where the ball needs to go at any given point. The mental acuity is what made Tom special. Physical talent, he's got a decent arm. I wouldn't say he's got elite arm strength. He's not Rodgers. He's not Mahomes. He's not mobile. He's the best between-the-ears quarterback we will ever see in this sport. I am pretty confident in that because I don't know if anybody else will ever have this much longevity. And we're not talking about accomplishments or statistics. We're just saying... I don't know if anybody will ever be able to play that position that long at that level ever again just because of how the game changes and how the social expectations for athletes has changed where if you hit 35 and you're still pretty good, wouldn't you rather just go live your life knowing what you know about that traumatic injuries that exist in the football world? That's the kind of thing now where that, aside from the, the accomplishments, the resume stuff, that's what makes Tom so unique is that a lot of guys would have been content with the six Super Bowls in New England and just said, okay, they're done with me. I think I'm good. Tom said, fuck you. I'll go play for someone else and I can win another Super Bowl. Watch me do it. And he found a really good landing spot and he went and did it. That is one of the things 
one of the traits that makes Tom who he is. He has always been one of the pettiest individuals to ever live. He still feels, still to this day, retired with the best resume of anybody to ever play NFL football, he still feels that he was slighted, that because everybody underestimated him 20 years ago coming out of Michigan, that he's got to prove it to them, that they're the ones who are wrong, that you guys don't know me, what are you talking about? you never seen me play. And even the Michigan stuff where Drew Henson replaced him as the starter, that was external pressure. That wasn't Tom playing poorly. Tom eventually got that job back, played the rest of that season before he got drafted. That's the thing, man. All of these myths, all of these legends, you think about them, the tuck rule game, the helmet catch, all of these individual instances that stick out, losing, being down 28-3 to to Atlanta, the Malcolm Butler play, the Brandon Graham strip sack, the bomb touchdown pass, uh, the bomb pass to Gronkowski to get into the red zone and the 10-3 get win over the Rams. You think about that defense smothering Kansas City to death last year. All of these Brady moments are etched into my brain because at some fundamental level as a sports person, whether you're a fan, whether you do sports media, all of these things are ingrained in your brain. All of these moments, these memories are ingrained in your brain. Because you felt like you were seeing something truly special. Every single time Tom stepped on the field, you thought, this guy is going to make something happen. And it wasn't flashy. It wasn't Mahomes. It wasn't Rodgers. It was, okay, this is what the defense is giving me? All right, let's send someone in motion. That's what they tell me. All right, so it's zone? Okay, so if it's zone, the ball needs to go here. If the guy follows the person I sent in motion, okay, it's man. The ball needs to go here now. Okay, this guy's cheating up out of the corner of my eye from the nickel spot. That means he's probably coming. I got to change the protection this way. All of that mental acuity stuff, the preparation, that unwilling, that never-ending passion to always be prepared. That is something that I do think we only get because Brady was in New England. If Brady goes to another place, he probably ends up being a really good Hall of Fame-ish talent, really good stats, probably. But because they paired him with somebody who had that same determination to always be the most prepared person in Bill Belichick, that's why I never understood the who didn't who did who more discussion. Tom isn't Tom if he doesn't play for New England as long as he does and he doesn't have Belichick to learn from. That's the thing, man. This is... It is so important to get over that ego stuff when you're trying to win in team sports because it's imperative that you're able to take input from other people to say, be have somebody who feels empowered to say, no, you're wrong, this is why. It is vital that your team has that kind of power structure in place where if Tom is being a little bit of a dick, Brady can, uh, if Tom Brady is being a bit of a dick, Belichick or Bruce Arians can say, Brady, Cut the shit. Let's go. That kind of stuff matters. It sounds so easy to think about. And people are used to the dynamics of their friend groups, their social circles, their workspaces. World of football is not normal in that sense. It is not operated like a normal workspace. There are a lot of outsized egos from a lot of people who've always been the best on their respective team at their job their entire lives. You think about the sheer volume of football Tom Brady has consumed in his life from a preparation standpoint. 
16 games for 20 years, a 17th game for 21, a whole nother season and a half of playoff games. Just all of the accumulated football that is in Tom Brady's mind. And it that's the thing. That is what I always had respect for when it came to New England. I know as the big bad villains, you're not supposed to root for them. It's bad to root for the bad guys. And I wasn't. I never rooted for New England. I always felt a respect for that team and that organization because they thought about football the same way that people like me are committed to. We want to understand football to the fullest possible capacity out of curiosity and a wanting to understand and wanting to win. That's why you consume as much football as I do, because I want to understand. And that is something that New England made a staple. They were always the most prepared team. And that is something that sticks with me. I forget who wrote it, but a couple years ago, somebody wrote a column, an oral history about what it was like to play for Belichick. And one of the players said, the only time in my entire career I was in New England, we were not prepared, was the Wildcat game Miami ran with Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams. That was the only one in the entire time this player was in New England that he felt the team wasn't adequately prepared. And that's why it's so important that you marry Belichick to Brady. And you don't try and isolate them. I understand that so much of sports media now is just, Two people arguing opposite points with facial expressions, loud voices, graphics, and animations. So the video can get put on social media, and the social media video can get interactions. And because there's an ad before the video starts, the media company gets paid. I understand that's the be-all, end-all for sports media right now, and it's why discourse is so stupid and why we why there was so much of the Brady versus Belichick discourse last year, especially leading up to the game they played this year during the regular season in Foxborough in that rainstorm. Just appreciate what they did, man. It is so unbelievably difficult to win in the NFL. We will never see anything like what New England did again, ever. You will never see a team make nine Super Bowls in a 20-year period. You won't. Just You flat out won't. It is not going to happen. They took advantage of having the best quarterback of all time with the best coach of all time and married it together. And a lot of those teams, Tom was always the best player on his own team once. Once they lost to the Giants in 2007 and Randy Moss had the best season of his career, that was the last time Tom wasn't the best player on his own team. That Randy Moss season, okay, I can say, I think Randy Moss was better at football that year than Tom Brady was. Randy Moss was playing wide receiver in, at a level we'll probably never see again, just in terms of raw dominance, but you get what I'm saying here. I want this to be about the football. The, the conjecture stuff is for, it's for the talking heads of the world, the people with nothing to say. The ones who talk the loudest have the least to say. That's one of the things I've learned a lot in the last year and a half of doing this and consuming other people's content and trying to understand how they operate. It's not anything insightful or trying to make a grand point. It's trying to be entertaining and silly because that's what gets engagement. Tom, when I think about Tom, the moment I will cite the most was halftime of the Falcons game. Going into that third quarter, the Falcons extend their lead. 
It's 28-3. to With about, I think, seven minutes to go in the third quarter. And I remember being in my group chat with my friends from high school. I was in college at the time during the Super Bowl. But I remember being in the group chat with my friends from high school and saying, I don't feel like this game is over yet. I just, I don't think it's over yet. I can't count out Tom because they will find a way. They always have the voodoo. They always get the bounces. That's one of the things that really stuck out to me, especially after this past weekend, watching the Bengals and the Chiefs and then watching the Rams and the 49ers. The team that makes the fewer mistakes usually wins this time of year because the mistakes are the margin of error in these games. If it just came down to execution versus execution, most of these games are a push. It's about the mistakes, the turnovers, the misreads, the clock management stuff. That is the stuff that often decides games this time of year because the talent gap isn't big between two teams. That is the kind of deeper... It's so easy to just put the blame on one person. It's not on one person. There are 22 players on a field at any given time and 10 coaches on each staff at any given time. All of this stuff is interconnected. There are layers to this. So trying to put the blame or give the success, the credit to only one person is misguided. It's not helping anybody get a better understanding of the sport. Everything is intertwined. When I think about Tom, I think about the game against the Falcons as a... I know if any other quarterback is in that game, even if it's Rodgers, if it's Mahomes, I'm probably thinking the game is over, especially thinking about who else is on that New England team because Gronkowski's injured. He's not playing in that game. It's Edelman, Amendola, Chris Hogan, James White, and LeGarrette Blunt. That That's the offense. That's the offense New England has in that game. And they were not able to throw the ball. A lot of drops in the first half, especially. Weren't able to sustain any drives down past the midway point. He throws the pick to Robert Alford that goes all the way to the house. That is immortalized on the early edition of the Boston Globe. That I know someone is keeping in shrimp ra- shrink rack somewhere up in New England. The cover... It's in frame. It's Robert Alford with the ball out in front of him, extending it to the air, and Tom Brady laying on the ground after whiffing on the tackle with the heading, the headline, it's over. That is what was written at halftime, because that's when the early edition of the paper had to go out. I've looked for that image. I've looked for that cover. I've tried to find it to add it to the growing file of newspapers I've collected like an old man that I am, because... Any other human being on the planet Earth playing that position at that point, that game is over. But Tom, Tom made it happen. Sure, they got lucky. They had a few bounces. You got to have the plays. But that's the thing. When you are in those situations over and over and over again against teams that haven't been there before, you've been able to withstand those problems, those mistakes before. You've been able to learn from them and win in spite of those mistakes like New England has. Then when you're down 28-3, to you think about, okay, well, we were losing this score to that score at this time in this game, and we were able to do some things moving the ball, build back a little bit of momentum, and then because this other team we're playing hasn't been in this situation as many times, that's when we can sneak up on them. And you think about it. That last drive Atlanta has before the the Patriots tie the game, 
They have the ball. They get that big play to Julio Jones. He makes one of the best catches in the history of the Super Bowl that nobody remembers because it happened right before the Patriots scored to tie the game. They're in the red zone. They take a sack on first down. They get a holding on second down, and it's third and a mile. They don't get close enough to kick a field goal. They have to punt. They punt. Tom comes down, tie game, win the coin toss, come down in overtime, win the game. It's that simple. Because Atlanta, Kyle Shanahan as the OC, Dan Quinn, a lot of the guys on both sides of the ball, I don't think Atlanta, none of Atlanta starters had Super Bowl experience going into that game. They didn't know how to react when New England started getting back into that game. And you could feel the momentum swing. And it takes a very mentally tough team and a momentum swing if you haven't been in that situation before, there's no way of knowing how you're going to react until it's already over. And that is one of the things that we'll never see again from a team that is able to withstand that kind of pressure like New England. Because New England is the only team that's ever going to play in that many Super Bowls and that many conference championship games. Again, just period. Like, as good as Mahomes is, as good as Kansas City is. There's no win. Get to another Super Bowl, let alone win one. I know a lot of the discussion after they beat San Francisco was over under two and a half, three and a half, one and a half. One and a half is a reasonable number. You get to two, you're in rarefied air as a quarterback. It is so hard to win a damn Super Bowl. You think about all of the... If you don't play quarterback, maybe it's a little bit different. If you're a wide receiver, you're a corner pass rusher who plays for a couple different teams you're a situational guy like what chris long was where he won one with new england and then one with philadelphia okay that makes sense you didn't play quarterback you weren't as expensive you were able to move around a little bit more freely you had more agency about where you went okay for tom he was gonna find a way to make it work with chris hogan julian edelman and danny amandola whether they have to break out the double pass whether they have to break out that play they used against the Ravens in the divisional round that John Harbaugh is still kept up at night about where they had an offensive lineman reporting as eligible and a running back reporting as ineligible, and they threw to the offensive line. Just one of those plays that, unless you were there, it is impossible for you to understand just how confused everybody was and how mad John Harbaugh was. And that is the kind of situational awareness that I'm talking about. Belichick broke had them have that play because they have the rules expert that comes in every single preseason to go over things with them. They have McDaniels drawing up that kind of gimmicky stuff because they know they're going to need it at some point because just on pure athleticism, they're not going to be able to get it done with the guys they have. So they break out those tricky plays because it's misdirection. It's confusing. That's the whole point of trick plays. He breaks that play out. They get the big first down they need. They score again. And John Harbaugh's rattled the rest of that game once New England's already used it. They are mentally rattled. They are frustrated. And New England squeezes the life out of you. That is the best way I can describe what it's like to be playing against Tom Brady in a big game. You feel the life squeezed out of you because he's not hitting the bomb big play. It's the incremental, the seven yard in. It's the out. It's the one play action shot they hit over the top for 28 yards. Those are the things that made it feel like death by a thousand cuts over the course of a game because all of those blows started accumulating. They were just going to outsmart you. They were going to outprepare you. That is what I will remember from Tom Brady.
I'm very glad I got to see Tom Brady play in person one more time. I got to see him play the Jets this year. I got to see him lead one last two-minute drill. I'm very grateful I could say I saw a Tom Brady two-minute drill in person. And he made it work. Antonio Brown stormed out at halftime. They were losing by two touchdowns. Most normal people would have just, all right, we lost. It's a bad loss, but we'll get over it because we're a good team. We're the defending Super Bowl champions. We'll be okay. They made it work with Mike Evans, and he threw that touchdown to Cyril Grayson because Elijah Riley tried to jump the route a little bit too early, and that play is going to be burned in my mind the rest of time because I was there to see it. And you don't get an appreciation for how good Tom is. You don't understand just how quick he's able to get from his reads from one to the other because he has so much going on in that head where he's able to understand everything that's in front of him. It is insane to think about when you think about all the football that goes through his head and all the situational experience he has to apply to any decisions he has to make during the course of a game and to just lose that institutional knowledge but spend time with his family which is good on him it just feels like it's a shame that we're going to lose all of that institutional knowledge because he's done with football 21 years of experience of playing the position at the highest level is Something that everybody should be able to experience. I want Tom doing things like the, the football side of things as opposed to the preparation and the TB12 stuff. I want to hear about you talking football. I don't particularly care that you don't eat tomatoes, Tom. I'm glad you found a hack to keep your body a little more, a little less banged up as the later you went in your career, but... That's not the inter- that's not interesting to me. Like I said, I want to know. I want to understand football as a concept. I know this sounds like the end of Almost Famous, the end of Almost Famous, where they're sitting on the bed. <laughs> Could you explain rock and roll? I don't think anyone can explain rock and roll. Maybe Pete Townsend. That's what it feels like. I want to sit down with Tom Brady and be like, explain football to me. And I want to listen. I want to be able to understand that because I'm never going to be able to play in the NFL for 21 years at a high level. I'm never probably going to be at around the NFL in the same way. I'm never going to get into the coaching circles. I'm never. That's just not the life path I'm on. I would love to listen to him talk about it, though, because that shit will make my understanding of the game better. That is what it's about for people like me. That is why I've always had a begrudging respect for New England. And even though everybody else hated them, it was always to me, they do the best work. They have the best prep. Why? I, I understand they keep winning and that's annoying to everybody else. But they know what they're doing. They're going to keep winning because they know what they're doing. Okay. That was about 35, 40 minutes. That's where my target time is when I don't have a guest. So I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. Please remember to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you like to listen on. Do plan on getting something up on Gotham SN at some point this week. Debating between something hockey and football. A lot of ideas rattling around in my head for things I want to do. I will be at Devil's Leafs on on Tuesday night, so no blog for Wednesday, so probably a little later in the week. Guests lined up for Friday. Next week, I have one guest trying to get a second one ironed out. We're making the content season happen, folks. It's a good time of year for content. The NFL playoffs and the draft are what I know and do the best. And then I can do an hour on hockey 
out of a drunken stupor. If you find me on the sidewalk at two in the morning in midtown Manhattan, I could talk to you for 35 minutes about four checking concepts. Okay. Enough talk about me. I hope everybody has a good Wednesday. I'll see you guys tomorrow.